This is Seattle Sports at Night with Curtis Rogers, Jake Heaps, and Stacey Rost on 710 ESPN Seattle. The Mariners are off tonight. We are back for Seattle Sports at Night. Took a, took a week off, most yeah. of a week for the draft. Most of the week, but we're back. But we're back and better than ever. That's right. We're, we're without Curtis today, but we've got a lot of football news to get into, and we have maybe the best person here to do that, and Jake Heaps. And Stacey and Ross. And myself, Stacey Seahawks Ross. Seahawks insider Stacey Ross. It, uh, it feels like uh, it's pretty much all draft all the time, but you know what? With 11 picks, there's a lot. I'm still, I almost want to do flashcards just so I can remember all of them, <laughs> and I know that's bad. I was there covering it. And I'm still confusing myself. 11 picks is a lot, Stacey. That's 11 new players that we have to be dialed into. And not only that, you got to be dialed into the undrafted free agents that they yep. just got, right? So there's a couple steals that are going to always creep up onto the roster. And uh, it's exciting. This is a really exciting time. Uh, you, have to, you have to give a big round of applause to John Schneider and the scouting department staff uh, to come in initially with four picks and to leave with 11. Yep. 11 new players to address your needs. That is a heck of a job, and it all started with the Frank Clark trade, and they wheeled and dealed. Uh, it, it was really fun to watch how they were able to get what they got done accomplished. Biggest story of the weekend for Seattle. No surprise, it kicks off tonight's timeline. All right, first up on the timeline, as could be expected, the Seahawks turn a league-fewest four picks into 11 during the 2019 NFL Draft. They were tied for the second most by the end of the night. Minnesota edged everyone out with 12. It's just so many players. I bet John was pissed about that. He's I wanted so the mad. most. Yeah. I know. Um, <laughs> obviously, we had a conversation uh, a couple weeks before the draft, you and I, about kind of quality over quantity, what you really want to target. But if you're going to take this approach, if you're going to spin it so that you can get the most players you possibly can, topping out at 11 is one of the best ways to do that. Absolutely. And John Schneider, he is a volume shooter. He wants as many shots as he possibly can have so that he can identify some of the talent that is out there that maybe everybody else isn't looking at. And and that group is better than almost everybody out there in the National Football League. I, I love a lot of the picks that they made, and I think that when you look at some of them, it may have surprised you at the beginning or initially, but then when you really think about it, it makes a lot of sense for this for this roster. Yeah, I in no way uh, – I, I saw LG, uh, LJ Collier mocked maybe in one, but for the most part, I think folks were looking at uh, how far will Rashawn Gary fall? Mm-hmm. Will Montez Sweat be available? I think everyone was looking at a defensive end for their first pick, but I don't know how many people had them picking Collier at number 29 overall. Uh, Seahawks continue the trend of not using their original first-round selection, something they haven't done since 2011. I'm going to reserve my That's When Jake Was Born joke. I just want you to know I'm <laughs> good, getting better good, at good. it. There you go. Uh, but the Seahawks were not done making moves. Uh, they acquired a third-year tight end Jacob Hollister in a trade with the Patriots today. They gave up a 2027th rounder in exchange. They've got picks to spare in 2020. They definitely do. It, it was interesting because coming out of the weekend, people were talking. There was rumblings about a tight end, adding an additional tight end. And when they left the draft without a tight end, people were like, okay, they feel really solid about this group, and now this move was made today. Uh, Jacob Hollister now just adds to the competition, and what it what it makes me believe is one of two things. One, this is insurance just in case if Will Desley doesn't come back Those are healthy. questions I was saying. And number two, where where is the status of Ed Dixon and Nick Vanette? What is their likelihood to make this roster? And there's going to be great competition, and that goes into a storyline that we'll get in later in the show. 
And I got into this, uh, too, as a response because I saw the same question on Twitter. To me, it's a low-cost move that just has, you know, like a a moderate upside, right? The worst-case scenario, you lose out on one of two 2027th-round picks. Best-case scenario, uh, you save some money on what could be a pricey tight end extension. Uh, ESPN's Adam Schefter reports that former Lions defensive end, defensive end Ziggy Ansah had a visit with the Seahawks today. Lots yes! of Seahawks news today. Jake is so excited. Let's you guys. go! He is so excited. This is something he's been calling for for a long time. It fills a gap for the Seahawks. Jake, why is he still available? Well, it's really his shoulder. He had injury problems, and this is one of the premier defensive ends in the NFL. And the reason why he is in the position he is right now is this simply that they just don't know about the health of his shoulder. And him coming in on a visit uh, certainly helps that uh, for the Seahawks to get a closer look at him, to evaluate him, because when he's healthy, uh, he is a animal on the field and also a former teammate of mine. Really cool story. Former track player at BYU, uh, tried out, walked on on the football team. I didn't know this. Had no idea. Literally was in the locker room with him. He got his pads for the first time and had no idea how to put on any of his pads. All the guys were trying to teach him how to put pads on. A really, really phenomenal story that started out on special teams. Mm-hmm. We can talk about it another time, but, man, it is a really cool story to see where he is now and potentially him joining the Seahawks. We'll get into that defensive end position and Jake's wish list a bit later in the show. Coming up next, I don't think you're going to be super excited about the Doug Baldwin news right now. This is also from Adam Schefter, who tweeted out Friday evening that thanks to the cumulative effect of Baldwin's injuries and surgeries this offseason, he may have played his last down for Seattle. As excited as I was about the draft picks that they made at the receiver position and and the great players that I think they acquired, uh, it, it comes at a cost because that cost is potentially that Doug Baldwin is going to retire. So, uh, it, it is unfortunate that we're down this road. Uh, the, st- the decision hasn't been made, but all signs are pointing to Doug eventually announcing that he's going to retire. And I think the specific receivers they chose. Take out DK Metcalf, and you've got a lot of guys who, smaller guys, slot receivers, yep. that kind of role that Doug Baldwin has played. Um, certainly something to watch. Uh, and John Schneider said, maybe it was Pete Carroll, I think John Schneider on the third day of the draft when they were wrapping it up, said that hopefully an answer will come in weeks about Baldwin's status versus months from now. Probably looking at that June 1st cutoff. Um, Mariners are off tonight. They dropped their last two games to the Rangers by a combined 29-2. to Ouch. Not great. It was a 15-1 to loss Saturday. Right-hander Mike Leak allowed 10 hits, five earned runs, but Seattle's defense didn't help them out much. They committed three errors. And the errors didn't stop there. Seattle fell 14-1 to on Sunday. The M saw home runs from four separate Rangers. I feel like I remember telling the opposite version of this story just weeks ago. <laughs> but uh didn't work out for Seattle this time. Uh, Mariners' Eric Swanson got the start, gave up 11 hits and six earned runs. Seattle committed four more errors on Sunday, bringing that total, if anyone could do the math, to seven errors across two games for just a catastrophic defensive weekend for Seattle. They've got 37 errors this season. Yeah, this weekend was bad, bad news bears uh, in terms of defense <laughs> for for the Seattle Mariners. And uh, the, the biggest disappointment to me was I loved the start that Eric Swanson initially had. It was a great outing. And then to see him get totally shelled uh, this time around just goes to show that he's still a young player. He's got a lot to learn, a lot to figure out. And uh, as fun as this team's going to be to watch in terms of their offensive production, they are going to have games and moments yep. like this. So it's going to be a roller coaster of a ride uh, for these Seattle Mariners. Uh, if there is good news for Seattle, it's that Kyle Seeger 
says he's ahead of schedule in his rehab from hand surgery. He could take live batting practice soon and is eligible to return at the end of May. Meanwhile, outfielder Mitch Hanniger is dealing with shoulder soreness. So we'll see if he pops back into that lineup tomorrow. Yeah, with with Han- with Seager coming back, I'm I'm excited about seeing what he can do. And this is a guy that we're hoping can really play well and shore up one the defense, but two add great production so that we can then trade him off for for more prospects. So uh, hope that he can comes hope he comes back and, and is productive, produces, uh, and, and can be a fun player for us this year. And, and Mitch Hanniger obviously dealing with shoulder soreness. Yeah, it's not something you bad. want, and, and that's bad. And, and it's something that Hanniger hasn't been able to show that he can stay healthy through an entire season yet. Uh, hopefully it doesn't keep him out for long, though. No, the next couple lineups will be telling for him, though. Final story on the timeline today was literally maybe the biggest story on the timeline over the weekend. New Seahawks wide receiver DK Metcalf was told by two scouts to show up to his interview with the Seahawks without his shirt on as a bit of a prank for Pete Carroll. So here's the thing, you guys. Pete Carroll, during his press conference uh, with us after the first day of the draft, yep. the second day of the draft, jokes about this. And uh, John Schneider says, yeah, and then, uh, you know, he walked in without his shirt. We start laughing. And then Carroll says, yeah, it made me so mad. I took my shirt off. Laughs all around. We all think he's kidding. <laughs> right. We all go sit down a couple minutes later. Seahawks digital team releases that video, and all of a sudden, it's real. It really happened. And people couldn't believe it, but here's the funny thing. I knew that happened. Not you that did? Not that I had insider information. I knew that went down, but the moment he said it, I fully believed him because he is known for walking into meetings without his shirt on to try and pump, uh, pump people up. Pump that energy and, up. And, Let's and, go! And, and get people taking their <laughs> shirt off and getting people fired up and all that stuff. So, uh, And you could see it in his eyes that not only was he joking, but he was kind of serious, too. Right, like, right. He was gonna, it was a macho thing. Yes. So, super funny moment. I love it. He's, he's my favorite coach in the NFL, not just because he's ours from a Seattle Seahawks perspective, a Seattle fan perspective, but he is truly a unique coach that, that is unlike any other that, that is willing to put himself out there like that. And, and maybe of all the coaches you want to see take their shirt off, I'm not saying you want to see it, but it could be a lot worse. For anyone <laughs> complaining, <definitely> DK Metcalf <laughs> gave, him, gave him an A for effort this morning with Brock and Sock. But I've got to say... It's that plant-based diet. It's, it's that, that plant-based diet. We're going to keep it with the draft and take a look at some of the newest Seahawks. That's coming up next on Seattle Sports at Night. You're listening to Seattle Sports at Night with Curtis Rogers, Jake Heaps, and Stacey Rost. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio on 710 ESPN Seattle. Coming in from the 360, can you break down the undrafted free agents? I absolutely can. Well, of course we can. I can. And we've got Jake you can. covered. We've got you covered. We're planning on it. We're doing it. That's coming up at 8 o'clock. Uh, to kick off the 8 o'clock hour for Four Down Territory, we're going to take a look at some of those guys. But right now, we're going to take a look at the Seahawks draft. So we've, uh, we're going to look at every single pick. So buckle up. This is happening. We are going in-depth. Yes. Uh, so we're going to start with rounds one and two. Um, some of the most interesting picks. Actually, I think there's a, there's a pretty interesting pick from, from each section we've got here. But let's, let's start with... Uh, I'm going to say the the highest round, the most draft capital that was invested, and in, and in maybe the biggest uh, the biggest names okay. to come out of it. All right. Uh, and just as a reminder, you can listen to our show via the 710 Sports app, driven by your Puget Sound Acura dealers. Let's get this started with round one, pick 29. This is the pick Seattle got from their trade with Kansas City for Frank Clark, and uh, they filled that defensive end position, not Clark's exactly, but filled that defensive end spot. 
with uh, L.J. Collier. I always want to say Collier. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna you, ask him if he wants kind of like that French pronunciation. You, but you it's always tempting. want to lean towards. I that always want to make pronunci- things fancier. I love sparkling water, and I love taking R's <laughs> off of off of words to make them French. He is out of TCU, six foot two, two hundred and eighty three pounds. Uh, played four years, but was not a four year starter. He racked up eighty two tackles, fourteen and a half sacks, and one interception. Shined last year especially, which was his first and only year as a starter. Uh, had 42 tackles and six sacks, so tackle-wise, about half of his college production. Was this the right move with your first-round pick? I say yes. Yeah. With what was available. Right, with what was available. And that's the thing is I know that they are very, very high on L.J. Collier. The reality is is that this draft uh, went as predicted. Yep. This was a heavy, heavy talent talented uh, defensive line draft and as John Schneider has said the most talented draft in 27 years and it reflected in the first round Mm -hmm. Uh, defensive linemen uh, went like candy I mean they were gone in an instant and and so for the Seahawks they were hoping that there would be a couple guys that they targeted that would fall late didn't end up happening one of the at one point Montez Sweat did See, fall to us at 21. Jake, so that you guys know, had a physical reaction. Me, Jake, and Danny O'Neill were hosting the 710 ESPN <laughs> Draft Lounge. I'm sitting next to Jake, and he just he starts saying, look, here's my draft approach. You do the fake out. You get those picks, and then Montez Sweat was slipping down the board. That's right. Jake was going to go Montez Sweat, maybe with 29 and 30 get Nikhil Harry. Yep. I, I, I was get, I was very practical. I was very practical. I was thinking practical? just I was thinking just like them. And then when twenty one happened, Montez Sweat was there. I was all over it. And the thing was, Stacy, is when you're talking about trying to replace Frank Clark, mm-hmm. a Montez Sweat talent type of talent can do just that. It's the sleek, sexy uh, defensive pass rusher that that is a finesse player that that has all the intangibles. Uh, but simply, the Seahawks looked at it and said, "This isn't our guy." This isn't uh, this doesn't fit the Seahawks' way of doing business, and so I think maybe the heart had the heart issue was was one of the things that mm-hmm. got him got him off their board, uh, but they traded out of it uh, and acquired more picks for it, and they they ended up with L.J. Collier, and they didn't want to trade out again with their 29th pick. They the way the defensive line draft was going, they they couldn't take that risk and, and miss out on Collier. And when you look at Collier. He is the definition of a Seahawk. He, what kind of defensive end do you get with him? A uh, defensive end you get with him is he is a power player. He is a powerful defensive end. He is going to uh, be physical with you at the point of attack. He wants to bull rush you. He wants to hit you in the mouth. Uh, he wants to make you feel his presence every single down. And from the standpoint of trying to replace a Frank Clark, right. this isn't the exact comp. This is a different type of player, and the comp that Pete Carroll brought out immediately was Michael Bennett. And the reason why he brings up Michael Bennett is because he can play the five-technique defensive end position. He can come inside at defensive tackle if you're trying to go with a pass-rush specialist unit across the board on third downs. He can slide back inside. He's really heavy-handed, which means, what what does that mean? <laughs> heavy-handed gets thrown out there a lot. It means that when he makes his move, when, when offensive linemen and defensive linemen are hand-fighting, there is it's the comparison of a heavyweight 
boxer and a featherweight. A featherweight is going to be more finesse. They're going to get in their jabs. They're going to get in their punches, and they're going to wear you down over time. Whereas a heavyweight fighter, once it just takes one hit. It takes one punch to maybe knock uh, to end the entire match. Mm-hmm. And for, for LJ Collier, he can make his moves and hand fight and, and make people move with, with his swipe moves, with his hands, and move people at the point of attack. And so that's what they mean by saying heavy-handed. Uh, the other side of it, too, is... You just love his story. He's got tremendous grit. He's overcome a lot of adversity. He comes from a small uh, town. In, the population in, was, his high school graduating class had 25 people in it. Exactly. In the middle of nowhere in Texas. It's Monday, Texas with M-U-N. It's not M-O-N. Yeah. And, and, and it's just amazing to see he's been told no his entire life. No one from his town has ever made it into professional sports. And, and that was known to him throughout his entire football career. He overcame the odds. He wasn't a four-year standout player. Continued to work in t- at TCU. Continued to get to get better and he can be a force for this team in the past and in the run game sounded like just about half that town was there for his phone call with schneider round two pick 47 second pick of the draft again seahawks go defense with safety marquise blair out of utah he's 6'2 195 one of two players selected from utah in this class the other coming later in the draft he played two years there uh, recorded 106 tackles, four passes defended, two interceptions. Of all of Seattle's picks, this seemed to be the one our former players, you included, Jake, plus uh, <laughs> Brock and Dave, <laughs> I wrote the wrong name, were, cited, were most excited <laughs> about. Uh, why is that? I think the reason why we're so excited is because in college football, very rarely do you see, do you see college football players, especially safeties, so willing to hit. It, it, Marquise Blair is a fearless hitter. He plays with reckless abandon. Sometimes it got him in trouble with penalties. He was but, ejected for but, one game. Yeah, but he is a force out there, and he is a presence that everyone on that on that offense knows exactly where he is. No one wants to go head-to-head with him. Um, and, and, and when he hits you, you stop right then and there. He is a, he is a guy who stops you dead in your tracks. And, and the biggest thing for Marquise Blair that I love about him is he is a – I know this bothered people because how can, how can you compare him to Cam Chancellor? He's not the same player. There, no one can replace Cam. No, you can't. But he is that type of player in terms of his willingness to hit and the force that he can be uh, on that field, the presence that he has, the physicality that he brings. And, and being a undersized guy at that, being 6'1", uh, yeah. 195, it's pretty impressive. So they're going to have him be a box safety. That's what they want. They want him to be a, a strong safety with Bradley McDougal playing free safety. But my favorite thing about him is that he's that type of player with that with brings that physicality. But he is very versatile. He ran a four four eight forty. He is great, which in is coverage. more of like that someone that could fill in, right? Like how Bradley McDougal's so versatile, he can do a couple things. It exactly. sounds like he can be a versatile safety for you. Exactly. And, and him and Bradley McDougal can be interchangeable in terms of who's playing in the box and who's playing in that deep safety role, which excites me, brings versatility, and you don't really have a weak point in coverage. Uh, so this is the last pick of the second round, the last pick we're going to talk about in this segment. Round two, pick 64. You know... As excited as you guys were for Marquise Blair, I think this became the most nationally followed pick. Absolutely. It seemed to create a a lot of excitement from folks all over the place. Wide receiver D.K. Metcalf out of Ole Miss uh, easily got the most national attention because he was the star of the Combine earlier this year. 
Just a freak of nature. Six foot three, two twenty-five, around a four three three forty, the fastest of any player wearing weighing two hundred and twenty-five pounds or more. A rare combination of size and speed. Also became the highest drafted receiver for the Seahawks since two thousand fourteen. That was Paul Richardson. Mm-hmm. When it comes to him, and this is a question I have that interests me. I want to throw your way because I, I keep hearing, you know, if if he's great, it's a home run. Yep. You hit it out of the park. But it sounds like he might still be missing some skills that that some receiver, a second round pick receiver might otherwise need. Absolutely. This is a pick that is, and this is ultimately why DK Metcalf fell as far as he did, Stacey, is because it almost came to the point where, yes, his his measurables were off the chart. And mock drafters had him going as in a, at top 15 pick. He's got that kind of talent. Yeah. I mean, he was there day upside. one, right? Absolutely. Yeah. He was there in the green room and all that. A lot of hype around DK Metcalf. Um, but as as talent evaluators were looking at him, as GMs were looking at him, uh, there is there is some holes in his game, Stacy. And also one of the things is his health. He hasn't been fully healthy for an entire season. Um Coming off He's, of a neck surgery yeah. this past year, was cleared for contact, and that combine was after he was cleared, so physically performed really well. Um, but as Jake points out, it's still a question, especially when it's a neck injury. Well, for sure, it, it definitely gives you pause. And the other side of it too, it's either feast or famine in, in terms of, like you said, this could be a this could be a a, a big time game changing type of pick where we found our new number one receiver and he's a game breaker uh, and is and and totally tilt the field one way or he's going to be a bust. But the, my favorite part about this is you get a a player that without a doubt everyone knew what his talent is, what his potential is, and now for the value of what you get him is the second round pick number sixty four. This is a great pick. This is a fantastic opportunity to take a chance on DK Metcalf. And this guy's going to come in highly motivated. Uh, and, and the one thing that I really like is he fits this offense. He fits exactly what this offense wants to do. This is a deep vertical play action, deep play action pass game, uh, and that's the that's the center of what this what this offense is. And so DK Metcalf is arguably the best deep threat receiver in this draft. And so he fits exactly what they want to do. Pete Carroll said after the press conference that they're not going to ask him to run the full route tree. They're not going to ask him to be that type of player from day one. They are going to accentuate his strengths, and they're going to empower him to do those things. And over time, hopefully he can get better at those other aspects of his game sooner rather than later. But this is an exciting opportunity to have a a top-flight ex-receiver getting one-on-one matchup opportunities and seeing if he can win. And this is the type of receiver that Russell Wilson, I know, is fired up to have. I think people will certainly have eyes on him for this weekend's rookie meeting camp. So I'm expecting a couple tweets about that. We're going to jump into rounds three and four next. We've got eight more Seahawks to go through. Eight. And we're going to do it. And we're going to do it. That's next on Seattle Sports at Night. Live from the Alaska Airlines studio, this is Seattle Sports at Night with Curtis Rogers, Jake Heaps, and Stacey Rost on 710 ESPN Seattle. Welcome back to Seattle Sports at Night. I am Stacey Rost. He's Jake Heaps. Jake, you want to help yes. me dive into the next couple rounds of the draft? Uh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> Great. Uh, yeah. Uh, it's going to be amazing. Uh, all right. Let's get started with... Round three, Seahawks' only round three uh, pick of the draft. Uh, this came at, at 88 overall, 
It's Utah linebacker Cody Barton. 6'2", 230, has experience playing both outside and inside. He, I think towards the beginning of his college career, um, played mostly on the outside. And then by his last season, he started every game at middle linebacker. Here's my question. There is a crowded room at linebacker. Are we expecting him to add depth behind Bobby Wagner, add depth on the outside, or is this a move that plays out elsewhere? This was one that really was kind of a head-scratcher. If you just look at what Cody Barton is, how does it fit this team, that was one of the picks initially when it came across was like, I didn't really anticipate that one coming in round three. Mm -hmm. But when you think about it, uh, really right now what you have is short-term answers at the linebacker position. You love what you have in K.J. Wright if he can stay healthy, right? And, And that's what they're banking on. Michael Kendricks, that his legal situation can get figured out so that he can play and contribute. Uh, but if if either one of those t- two things falls through, mm-hmm. now you have a really strong answer in Cody Barton, who is a very, very good football player who played all three positions. He played Mike, he played Will linebacker, he played Sam linebacker, extremely versatile, uh, can run sideline to sideline, ran a 4'6", 40, um, at 235 pounds, and uh, and benched uh, 30 times on the bench press, which is really impressive. So he can move people at the point of attack. Um, the the one thing that they said right away was is that he's going to be a phenomenal special teams player. I've watched the tape. He is absolutely going to contribute to that, and that's a huge thing for them going into this year. They lost one or two games last year because of their special teams and their and their coverage units, and, and he's going to be able to help shore that up. And the other part of it is right now, if you were to ask me what can he contribute to right away on this defense, I believe it's the Sam linebacker position. Hmm. I think that he's going to have an opportunity to legitimately compete with Barkevius Mingo for that Sam linebacker position. And, uh, and I think it's exciting because when you look at what an opportunity is for him, the reality is, is if the Seahawks can save money, which they can, if they, if they cut Barkevius Mingo, that saves them $4 million to the cap, uh, which is a significant amount of money for them. So, it's going to be great competition. We'll see what see what happens. But the other thing is the versatility. He can play in all three spots. He's a heady player. He, he again another grit story. He came in as a as a uh, quarterback and eventually found his way on defense and wasn't a four year starter that contributed major major playing time. But over time, continued to work, continued to work, and, and got himself onto the field more and more and more to his senior year, being a captain and having a phenomenal year. And that word grit being one that general manager John Schneider used often when talking about Cody Barton uh, in his press conference after the draft. Next up, we have three fourth-round picks. Let's start with 120 overall. This was just a flurry of activity. It was hard to keep up with it. Uh, Wide receiver Gary Jennings out of West Virginia. His phone call, personally, was one of my favorites from the day. A really personable guy. Um, He had an interesting story about having had Russell Wilson as his youth basketball coach. Both are from Virginia, uh, went to the same uh, prep school, and this was when Wilson was in high school and he was in maybe like fourth grade. Yeah. Uh, He is uh, 6'1", 214, started out primarily on special teams, but moved into a starting role later in his college career, eventually led the team with 917 yards and 13 touchdowns, which was a career high for him. That was in 2018. Here's my question. What current receiver is he battling with? Yeah, Gary Jennings is an interesting one because when you look at his height, 
his size, you think automatically he's an outside receiver. 6'1", 215 pounds. He runs a 4'4", He checks all the boxes off and is an explosive player. But when you watch him on tape at West Virginia, he played primarily in the slot for them and, and uh, in that spread offense. So he knows how to work the middle of the field. He did an excellent job of that vertically, intermediate, and short pass game. So I love the fact that he's a very smart football player, understands spacing, understands how, how to get himself open, um, and so you can see him maybe playing that role as an inside receiver. The other side is that when he the, – the talk was is that when he went to the Senior Bowl, they had him playing primarily as an outside receiver, and he dominated. Mm-hmm. He had an outstanding performance outside uh, at the receiver position and showed that he, can, he belongs in the NFL at that position. So I think for them, they're looking at him – you know, potentially him and DK Metcalf rotating at that X position, being able to stretch the field vertically down the field. And then uh, Gary Jennings having the versatility to come inside and play slot if need be. Yeah, I think one of those picks that uh, it felt like a spread your money as much as you can draft for Seattle. Uh, trade down, get as many picks as you can, and because you're getting those picks – you want to make sure that you get guys that can contribute on special teams, uh, Jennings being one of them and several of these other guys, guys that have played both positions. You look back at yep. round two, Marquise Blair having played both strong and free safety, uh, Cody Barton at both inside and middle or outside linebacker, uh, Gary Jennings as a punt returner, uh, slot receiver, uh, outside receiver, guys where it just feels like if you're covering your bases, you're trying to kind of get guys that have as much a widespread experience as you can. You're Absolutely. not getting like like top tier specialists. You're not mm-hmm. getting a uh a number 2, number 3 overall defensive lineman. You're getting guys that can that can help you fill. If you got a lot of holes to fill, yeah. This is one way to help. Absolutely. These guys are contributors that can have an impact for you, sure some things up overall on your on your entire roster uh in, in in all aspects, right? Not just offense, not just defense, but in special teams, that third area that is so critical to win ball games when you play a style of game where the margin of error is razor thin when you try and play a ball control type of game and, and you know the amount of errors that you can have are very limited. Uh, the second of three fourth-round picks, and uh, second to last for this section, round four, pick 124, guard Phil Haynes out of Wake Forest. Brock, you were not crazy about their offensive line, but said that of all the players, Phil Haynes kind of shown the brightest. Uh, he has experience at both guard and tackle, was part of an offensive line that called themselves the Beef Boys. Now, when you say that, Stacey, you got to say it with your chest. The Beef Boys. I can't make that sound. You can. We'll work on it. Okay. We'll work on it. You, you can do it. <laughs> what does he bring? Who's he competing with? Do you see him on this roster in September? Yeah, I see him on this roster. Absolutely. He, you know, Here's the thing. This is what I love about this pick versus the Tom Cable years. The Tom Cable years, it was, okay, this guy's a defensive lineman, defensive tackle that we can move to uh, and make him work as a guard. Uh, we can take this tweener type of player and we can make him something. Uh, we can turn him into our zone scheme. No, this was a player that is 6'4", 322 pounds, all physical, all nasty, downhill type of player that's raw. And and when you see him play, he's got the physicality to 
smash people at the point of attack. Uh, he he was a, a again a tremendous story uh, basketball player mm-hmm. turned uh, offensive lineman, and uh, he's got a lot to grow into his game. But what he's going to be is he's going to be a strong backup to Mike Upati, and hopefully Mike Solari can can coach him up. And it's not a complete project. He's the same style of play that they. He's the same player that fits their style of play. It's just polishing him up in the pass game and making him a little bit better in space when he's pulling. Those, those are the big things that he needs to improve. Sounds on. like they're trying to get a little better at that overall, as far as it comes to the offensive line. You're taking a guard that, or a guy that has played at that left guard position, uh, and you aren't taking someone and completely moving him around. Correct. Um, the last pick of the fourth round is round four, pick 132, safety Ugo Amadi from Oregon. Uh, 5'10", 201 pounds, a little bit of a smaller guy. Carroll said they'll see him a bit at nickel corner. That's a spot where they lost Justin Coleman uh, to the Lions this offseason in free agency. Currently have uh, Akeem King mm-hmm. competing there. Uh, he In a phone call with reporters, Amadi said he's, quote, like a Swiss Army knife. And, and he is exactly that. When you put on the tape for him, he doesn't blow you away with his measurables. He's 5'10 five, he's five, on a good day. Uh, 200 pounds. Uh, same. Uh, and and <laughs> yours is a <laughs> real, real good day. Uh, <laughs> I'm 5'3 on a good day. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, you know, Ugo is one of those guys that is just a field general when he's out there. He's going to make sure that he's in the right spot. He's going to get everybody else in the right spot. And those are the types of guys you love to see out there on the field. And he can play that free safety position. He can play nickel corner. He's a playmaker. He's a ball hawk. He's he seems to always find himself around the ball. And the other thing that I really like about him is you talk about special teams, contributes on special teams, is a dynamic mm-hmm. punt returner. Um, so you could potentially see him that surprised uh, me in the when return I was game at his as well. Stats. Yeah, absolutely. So if you're going to look at him uh, and you talk about J.D. McKissick, where he's at, he could maybe take that role over as the backup returner. Um, but Ugo, to me, is a guy who's really going to compete with Akeem King mm-hmm. and, a, and the rest of those guys at that nickel cornerback position. I think that's a place that really fits his game. He can he can blitz off the edge, uh, and he can really be a guy that is going to be in the right place at the right time, has the ability to cover and man. So I really like this pick. Coming up, we would normally get into our regular 745 for down territory segment, but we're going to save that for eight o'clock. All of you guys waiting for undrafted uh, rookie news linked to Seattle. Stay tuned for that section. Coming up next, we're going to take a look at the four remaining Seahawks draft picks from this past weekend. That's next on Seattle Sports at Night. You're listening to Seattle Sports at Night with Curtis Rogers, Jake Heaps, and Stacy Rost. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio on 710 ESPN Seattle. Welcome back to Seattle Sports at Night. I am Stacy Rust. He is Jake Heaps. Jumping into the text line, Jake is, to defend DK Metcalf from the 425. Uh, well, get I mean, a little bit of hate. Jake says, easy, don't label him a bust yet. Very raw, but he fits this scheme and hopefully develops quicker than we anticipate. Yeah, I mean, come on, 425. I mean, the thing is, is look, I understand the wariness. I understand the hesitation. He fell down for a reason. Uh, but the value of this pick, to me, this is... This is a good opportunity to take a chance on a player like this. He could be a massive, massive game-changing player, and I'm with you. I have all my questions and doubts about him, too, and the realities about him as well. But he can come in, and he, he could surprise everybody. So don't write him off from the get-go. Let's see, let's see how he does out there. He is not, um, not going to be your average player. He is a freak of nature. He can stretch the field vertically. Uh, and when you see him out on the field, 
he has a direct impact. And the thing is, is that he can change the game in a dynamic way. The key for me is whether or not he can stay healthy. Jake, I've got a football question for you from the 813. Are Will, Mike, and Sam acronyms or just corresponding first letter? Yeah, this is great. Uh, 813. This is a really good question. Now, Really what this is, is when we talk about Will, Mike, and Sam, they're not acronyms. What they are is just, it talks about the corresponding letter. So Will is short-term for weak side linebacker. And Mike is short-term for middle linebacker. Sam, strong side linebacker. So it's a it's a way to spit out the verbiage faster and to identify quicker. Um, and don't ask me when it started, who came up with the names, but that's just the universal term for those those positions. So not acronyms final word on that that's right we all learned a little bit today yeah there we go uh all right so uh four down territory is coming up next i'm going to throw a few questions jake's way um but we're going to round out this draft take a look at the seahawks uh picks from rounds five through seven give some of our final thoughts so let's start with round five uh, again, Seattle's only pick from round five was a local player, pick 142 overall, Washington linebacker Ben Burkhurvin. The nation's leading tackler in 2018 becomes one of the newest Seahawks linebackers. With the addition of Barton earlier in this round, though, he becomes one of, uh, I think, at least 10 linebackers or so on Seattle's squad. That's a pretty packed room. Does he have a shot to edge out that competition? Yeah, I think Ben Burkirvin was a guy that, look, when you talk about the value, uh, this is where maybe people were anticipating a Cody Barton would land. But from everything that I heard about Cody Barton was actually his value. He had multiple teams calling him, talking to him about him being picked in the third round. So it's not as crazy as what everybody might think. Now with Ben Burkirvin, he is a classic sideline to sideline player and Pete Carroll reminisced about Lofa Tatupu uh, from USC being an undersized guy. Now, Ben Burkirvin is faster than Lofa Tatupu, but what they have in common is instincts, and you can't teach it. Ben Burkirvin is undersized. Uh, he is 230 pounds, but, man, he worked his tail off to get to that 230. It is a stretch for his body. He is a smaller build type of guy. Uh, but he flies around, has a great nose for the football, and always just seems to be in the right place at the right time. That's something you can't teach. So for me, when I talk about Cody Barton, Cody Barton can fill all three spots for you. I see him projecting out as a Sam linebacker when it's all said and done. Uh, but where I see Ben Burkirvin is playing that weak side linebacker position, uh, learning under K.J. Wright and Michael Kendricks, because the, the Mike linebacker position is more of the position where they're going to play at the point of attack more, and the weak side linebacker has more freedom to run sideline to sideline, and that fits Ben Burkirvin's game. So I think he can be a great contributor. And the biggest thing to me, Stacy, is you talk about worst-case scenario, K.J. Wright gets hurt, Michael Kendricks isn't playing. The, the issue you had last year, and this is, uh, you know, this is the unfortunate reality, is Austin Calitro and Shaquem Griffin – did not play well in those roles. Calitro got better over time, but still he was lost in coverage. And at times it was eye-opening to see how far away he was in off. coverage. Yeah, that drop-off was significant. And what you have with Cody Barton and Ben Burkirvin are guys that have great instincts, great players, and also are going to be reliable. They are going to be in the exact right place. And that's something that, as the Seahawks learned, is something you cannot overestimate that value. And when you have those guys, it's a safety pick, a safety value, a valve. And who knows, maybe they turn into a great, great pick down the road. I'm interested to hear your takeaway for the next pick. 
Um, I actually hadn't heard of this player before, and uh, it sounds like he could be a surprise, potentially. Uh, This is running back Travis Homer of Miami. He was selection uh, pick 204 overall out of round six. He was a starter in his final two seasons at Miami. Average six yards per carry. That's Mm -hmm. a lot of yards per carry. I know it's college (laughs) football, but still, notable. He finished with uh, a little over 1,100 yards in 2018, what kind of running back is he, and and why was this maybe one of your? Um, is it would you say like a better value pick, or would you say it could be a surprise? Yeah, could be a it's, breakout. It's a it's a good question. I think maybe it could be a surprise pick, and it, it, of course the Seahawks had to take a running back. They just couldn't help themselves. You could they had not the, do they it. had the shakes. They had to get yeah, him, right just somewhere. But they they just had to get a, a Brian Schottenheimer was like, do it. Actually, it, this might have been Pete Carroll saying, pull the trigger. <laughs> exactly. But uh, Travis Homer, you know, coming from the University of Miami. Uh, I, I was able to contact some people that I know on the coaching staff there, uh, and they love this kid. He is a great, great player. He's explosive, just like you said, six yards per carry. Uh, he ran a four four eight, and when you when you turn on the tape, Stacy, you go, "Whoa, this guy is an mm. impact player in the ACC. Can run, uh, can is great carrying the football, and plays with a great physicality uh, than what his size would would tell you at five ten, two hundred pounds." Uh, but what he also does, which I think is going to be his immediate fit here, are two things. One, I think he's going to be an excellent third down back, and that's something that they're missing with Mike Davis being gone. And so that means that C.J. Procise and J.D. McKissick now have a legitimate competition on their hands uh, with the addition of Travis Homer. Uh, and so he's that third running back that can be an explosive player, uh, can get you really good carries, uh, when it's all said and done, and can contribute in the passing game. The second thing that makes him a great uh, pick is that he's going to be another great special teams player. Although he was a starting running back for the University of Miami, he played special teams and did it willingly. And that's the type of player that you want. A lot of guys in that position, specifically at that school, right, they think they're I'm a superstar. Over it. They're a superstar. I don't need to play special yep. teams, and I'm too good for that. And not this guy. He loves ball and is all about it. And so I really like this pick. Uh, round six, pick 209 overall. The Seahawks addressed some depth concerns on the defensive line to start out the draft with their first pick. Addressed it with what we thought was their final pick. It wasn't, but we <laughs> thought it was. Uh, defensive tackle DeMarcus Christmas out of Florida State. Before I ask you this question, I just want to say, um, as someone who heard lots of jokes about my name, mm-hmm. I was in high school when Stacy's mom, Stacy's uh, mom, yes. came out. It was... If you think you're the first one to make that joke, you're not. So I saw I saw the last name Christmas. We asked him about it, and he was like, "Yeah, I mean, I just make a joke about it, or you know, just let it slide off your shoulders." And I just kept thinking, like, "Man, four I, years of that drove me crazy. I can yeah. only imagine your whole life." You but, were sitting there like, "I feel you." I know. I feel. I was you. like, I've never identified more with a defensive tackle <laughs> in my life. Where's his place on this roster, Jake? The the thing I. I fully believe that DeMarcus Christmas is going to be fighting for a roster spot. This is not a this is not a given that he makes this roster, but DeMarcus DeMarcus Christmas has the opportunity to make it because he has a great ability to stuff the run, and that's what his responsibility was. That's what his bag was at Florida State. And the interesting thing about it, it was at Florida State he played three technique. Well, who plays three technique here in Seattle? It's Jaron Reed. So he's not going to come in and compete and take Jaron Reed's spot. 
So he's going to be a depth piece that can play underneath that. Mm-hmm. And what you're trying to what you're trying to do is get young talent that to to create competition on that defensive line. And if he can be that in that second rotation for you uh, that can contribute and can be a run stuffer, that's a great thing and that's a great accomplishment with this pick. That idea of competition led us to one of our more interesting conversations, which we're going to get into uh, later this hour. But let's wrap it up with round seven, pick 236. Seahawks gave up a 2026 rounder to trade back into the draft. Here I was eating snacks, taking bathroom breaks, (laughs) packing up my stuff. That's right. Figured I was done, but no. Seattle drafted wide receiver John Ursua out of Hawaii, traded back in to take him. He led the nation in receiving touchdowns with 16. He's a smaller guy, though, 5'9", but played 92% of snaps from the slot. Jake, what did you make of yeah, this Yeah, we were winding down. I, I couldn't believe it. They traded back up, and, and Danny, Danny, O'Neal, or Danny O'Neal and uh, Jim Moore and I were like, whoa, whoa, what's going on? <laughs> we, we were got, all relaxing. We got so fired up, and we wanted to see what this pick would be. Yeah. You know, who is this guy that they identified that they could not miss out on. And this is a, and I thought that it might have been a backup quarterback. Mm. That was something that I was kind of thinking would happen here. And uh and this was a guy if you do this that means that the undrafted market for him is very heavy. And so you don't want to you don't want to miss out on an opportunity to land this guy. So you go ahead and you trade a a 6-round pick for next year uh for this guy. So John Ursua is absolutely worth it, and as John Snyder described, is one of his favorite players that they had on his board. Uh, and here's the reason why: if you're talking about a prototypical exact comp in terms of replacing Doug Baldwin, this is your guy. John Ursua is an undersized guy. He is more quick than fast, which was the exact same critique lobbed Doug Baldwin's way when he was coming out of. Stanford. Exactly, and 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 I turn on the tape and I watch John Ursua. The big thing that he does is he was asked to run a lot of routes that were comparable to what Doug Baldwin was asked to do in Seattle and what made him so successful. And so he's very quick, can use his footwork, can use his hands to get off the line of scrimmage and and, is, and understands space and zones very, very well. And uh, I, I love this pick after I evaluated a, a very cool story. Uh, an older guy, 24 years old, coming off his LDS mission uh, in Paris, France. So a mature guy and, and a guy that is going to be a security blanket for Russell Wilson. You don't do this, Stacy. You don't make this type of move if you're not giving this guy every single opportunity to make the roster. And so you've got three picks here, Stacy, at the receiver position that are going to absolutely vie for opportunity. Uh, for playing time, and uh, it's going to be a heck of a competition at the receiver position. Let's take a really quick minute to wrap it up. Let's do uh, the player we are most intrigued by and the player we think uh, could be maybe the best long-term solution for Seattle. player I'm most intrigued by, pretty easy, is wide receiver DK Metcalf. I'll certainly be keeping an eye on him in training camp. It's just a receiver that Seattle hasn't been able to really hit on, and it'll it'll really be interesting to to see someone with that size, that speed, um, and to see if he can show folks that it's not just physical traits. I'm sure he gets tired of being asked to take off his shirt, and how how fit are you? And I'm yeah. sure he wants to be able to say, you know what, I can be really smart too, and I can get that route running down. Um, I think the best fit, especially for Pete Carroll's defense, might be Marquise Blair out of Utah. Yeah, and Stacey, you took the answers right out of my mouth. Nailed it. So, <laughs> I, I think DK Metcalf absolutely is the most intriguing. He has the most upside. And, and if DK Metcalf can work, this one is going to be a steal of a pick. And two, you're going to have a player, a number one receiver, that is going to be unlike anything the yep. Seahawks have had in a long, long, long time, if ever. And, and so that's very exciting. 
Uh, and he's got a lot to work through, but uh, the, the ceiling is very high, and there's a lot of reasons to be excited about him. Like you said, I think he is getting tired of, of hearing about all the physical traits, his four, mm-hmm. four, uh, his four three three speed, his size. He wants to show that he can be a complete receiver right. uh, in, in all aspects. And Marquise Blair is legitimately the perfect fit. He's exactly the type of player that they want. He's the guy that is going to be the glue to all this when it's all said and done because uh, this puts Tedrick Thompson and Delano Hill on notice. And these guys have to step up or Marquise Blair is going to take your spot. And I think they fully anticipate Blair being the guy at that strong safety position, bringing a physicality, bringing a fear factor that was not there for this team last year. And that's something that truly excites me when you play an offensive driven in an offensive driven division versus the Rams versus 49ers versus Arizona. Now you've got a defense that has a ton of nastiness and physicality with picks like LJ Collier and Marquise Blair. Jake has a Seahawks wish list, and he's also got some takeaways on the undrafted rookie free agents that have been linked to Seattle. We'll talk about that next in 4 Down Territory.